You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It takes a lot of hard work and guts to make it in Detroit, and no one knows that better than Carhartt. Since 1889, Carhartt's been making the toughest, most trusted gear for anyone who outworks them. Because from field to farm and all sites in between, Carhartt's got your back for whatever lies ahead. Hi, this is Dan Dickerson. The Road to Detroit podcast starts right now. Twenty-five, twenty, three, and two. No, that is not the iPhone passcode for Nate Wangler. Actually, those are four numbers that you're going to have to pay very close attention to. Over the last 45 games for the Detroit Tigers are 25 and 20. And we always kind of expected this at some point to start happening. We were going to see the Tigers start winning some ball games. And they're doing it against teams that are competing for divisional championships, for pennants, for World Series titles. The Tigers are now 5 and 2 against the Houston Astros after splitting a four-game series over the weekend. 3 and 2 are also significant. The three stands for how many Tigers' top 100 prospects are currently rated by MLB Pipeline. To take it even another step farther, the Tigers have three ranked within the top 20 of Major League Baseball. There is only one other team in Major League Baseball that can say they have three top 20 prospects. That's the Miami Marlins. And the two, the two, don't forget about the two. The two is significant because at the end of this season, more than likely, we are going to see two more players jump into that top 100 prospect list. Maybe not necessarily in the top 20, but maybe towards the back end or maybe towards the middle. The number three overall pick is coming in the MLB draft in July. And on top of that, maybe a Dylan Dingler comes into the back end of the top 100. If he hits like he's been hitting in double A, it's only a matter of time until we see Dylan Dingler as a top 100 major league prospect. So 25, 20, Three and two. That is Nate Wangler's ATM passcode. <laughs> Again, remember those numbers. Season two, episode four. Welcome, everybody. It's the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. I'll tell you what, we're in for one of our biggest shows yet. And it was a tough act to follow last week. We had Cody and Roger Clemens. Not often do you get a member of the MLB All Century team to join the Road to Detroit. If you want to listen back to that, go hit up episode three and you'll hear Roger Clemens with his son Cody and a lot of thoughts on everything going on in Major League Baseball. Also about the spider tack conversation. So make sure you go back and check that out if you haven't done that yet. Coming up on today's show, we finally get a chance to have Spencer Torkelson. He joins the RTD first time on the RTD, although he certainly had a number of highlights on this show already. We finally get a chance to sit down with the number one overall pick in the 2020 draft. Spencer and many of the other Tigers prospects like him, they're all trying to get to Detroit. And what happens when you get to Detroit? You get to meet Dan Dickerson. That's what we're going to do here on this show. The goal is to get to Dan Dickerson for all of these young players trying to climb up the ladder and hit the road to Detroit. When you get to your final destination, this is the person you run into. And Dan Dickerson will talk about what he's seen at the major league level because some of the guys we talked about back in 2019, 
Matt Manning, Casey Mize, Tarek Skubal, they are finally now up into the major leagues, and all three of them, to different degrees, are having major league success. We'll talk to Dan Dickerson, see what he's seen from those three, as well as some of the other players who maybe didn't hit the ground running once they got to the major leagues, but now, after we've exercised some patience, now we finally see some of these guys beginning to produce. See a guy like Jake Rogers, for example, who has been tremendous this year. We'll talk to the voice of the Detroit Tigers, Dan Dickerson. Let's move on to the latest and greatest from the entire Tigers minor league system with our news and notes. And let's start in West Michigan. Look, the thing about this show is that it's not confined to a list of the top 30 prospects. It's not confined to a list of five or ten players that you need to know about. There's a lot of different players in this system. Eventually, there are going to be guys that come out of nowhere And in this system, the way the Tigers have drafted over the last couple of years, we're starting to see that. Look a couple of years ago, ninth-round pick, Tarek Skubal comes out of nowhere, and he becomes a guy, or as scouts might call him, a dude. That's a very, very flattering term in the scouting community. And who knows? We're here waiting to find out who that next player is, who that next wave is. So we keep our ears open, we keep our eyes open, we pay attention to everything so you don't have to. And this week, we begin with a young man in West Michigan. And coming into his final at-bat in a game in which he recorded a single, a double, and a triple, he came to the plate with a man on and a chance to complete the cycle and help the Whitecaps walk it off. Meanwhile, Eric De La Rosa at the plate for the Caps with a chance to win it here on Sunday, the 1-0. Swing and a high fly ball down the left field line. If it's fair, it's gone. This ball and this game is over and gone! For the first time since 2013, the Whitecaps have a walk-off home run! And Eric De La Rosa just hit for the cycle to go along with it. That right there is Eric De La Rosa. You may want to remember that name. A seventh-round pick back in 2018. And this young man is the epitome of perseverance. You know what teaches you about perseverance? Being cut from your college baseball team. Eric De La Rosa was cut by San Jose State after one year without ever playing there. He went to Grossmont Junior College. He dominated there to the tune that the Tigers decided to spend a top 10 round pick on him. And it took a while. First couple of years in the minor league system, he was still learning. He was still figuring it out. But all of a sudden this year, we're seeing a very different player with a very different mindset. And the results are starting to back it up. De La Rosa hits for the cycle the first time it happened in West Michigan since 2019. He also walks it off with a two-run home run. The last time that West Michigan had one of those was 2013. So far between low A Lakeland and high A West Michigan, De La Rosa is hitting nearly 100 points higher than he has at any stop in his professional career. 40 games, 4 homers, 28 runs batted in, and 16 stolen bases. He's hitting 279 with an on-base percentage approaching 400. A reason to keep an eye on him because the success has even increased since going from low A up to high A. And that's something that always catches your attention. Tarek Skubal, 
He faced the Houston Astros on June the 27th and was unbelievable. He went seven innings, allowing just one run on one base hit while striking out nine. A two-to-one victory over the Houston Astros. That was the squeeze bunt from Robbie Grossman that helped the Tigers walk it off against the Houston Astros. That's the news. Let's hit the on-ramp. Let's go to Low A Lakeland. It's been a tough season for the Flying Tigers. They went 1-5 and five against Tampa at home, but Gage Workman is off to a decent start this season. We've been keeping our eye on a Tigers top 15 prospect who was the club's fourth round pick in 2020. He's got a four-game hit streak. He's still got some pop in this bat. Over his last four, three doubles, three runs batted in. The extra base power has certainly been there for Gage Workman. To West Michigan. The Whitecaps had a messed up week. We'll just say it. The Whitecaps lost their first two games against the Dayton Dragons, and that's a first-place team. But then on Thursday, their game got rained out. On Friday, their doubleheader started late. There was a two-hour rain delay, so they didn't get to playing their first game until 8 o'clock. They didn't play their second game until close to 11 p.m. They ran into curfew, so they couldn't even finish the second game, which they had to start the following day. That was supposed to be on Saturday. Then that game got rained out, so we had to play Two innings to finish the game on Sunday from what was started all the way back on Friday and then a nine-inning game against the Dayton Dragons. And then that's where the Eric De La Rosa walk-off home run came into play. Meanwhile, among all of this craziness, there were some really good performances. Brendan White, start to learn this name as well. He threw the longest outing of any white cap to this point in game one of that six-game set with Dayton. Seven innings, just one run on seven strikeouts. In his last 19 innings, he's allowed only one run. Brendan White's an interesting story. He started the season as a reliever, and all of a sudden the Tigers noticed something with a couple of his pitches, specifically his slider and that it might be a lot better than they ever originally imagined. Then they decided to take White out of the bullpen, try him as a starter, and the numbers have really skyrocketed ever since. So far, he has an ERA of 212, and in 29 and two-thirds innings, he's got more than a strikeout per inning, 33 strikeouts, and a 0.94 walks plus hits per inning. Bo Brisky, another pitcher who continues to post impressive numbers. Last start back on the 25th, seven strikeouts in five and two-thirds innings of one-run baseball. He's had at least seven punchouts in each of his last three appearances. Meanwhile, Tigers third rounder from 2020, Trey Cruz, finally starting to break out after a tough start to the season. He's riding a four-game hitting streak, and in that hit streak, he's got an extra base hit in three of those contests. He's got three doubles, a triple, a pair of runs batted in over that stretch. Let's go to double-A Erie. The Sea Wolves, the big bad Erie Sea Wolves, the wrecking crew over there. They've won four of six against the Akron Rubber Ducks. Dylan Dingler, he went on a tear in Akron, which is interesting. It's about 30 minutes away from where he grew up in Massillon, Ohio. So I'm sure he had family and friends there, and he showed off. Six runs batted in, two triples, his first double-A home run. He ended up scoring six times. Meanwhile, Spencer Torkelson hit another home run. He's now up to eight homers between West Michigan and Erie this season. On the mound, Joey Wentz made his return to the Seawolves through two scoreless innings, struck out a pair. So some good signs for Joey Wentz coming off of Tommy John surgery.
Kerry Carpenter had a four-game hit streak at the end of the Akron series, two doubles and a pair of runs batted in. And also Yaya Shentouf, who I believe was the Dylan Rosa Award winner on our last show. He tossed five scoreless innings in the series with Akron, picked up his first save back on the 25th in a 2-1 to victory. To Toledo we go. The Mudhens won four of six at home against the Memphis Redbirds and Cody Clemens a distinguished alumni of the RTD. He's actually been here a couple of times now, a couple times back in 2019, and now here with his father, Roger, on our last episode. He hit safely in five of six against the Redbirds, two doubles, his third home run as well. That's a look at AAA Toledo, and that's the on-ramp. The road to Detroit continues. Uh, Take cover because a torque bomb has just gone off inside the RTD. Let's welcome Spencer Torkelson, the Tigers' top prospect and one of the best prospects in all of baseball. Spencer, thank you very much for joining us. Also, we're very angry that Spencer left us in West Michigan. So how dare you, Spencer Torkelson? Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm sorry. I just had to. I had to go. (laughs) <laughs> I know you only played in West Michigan for one month, but describe the role that West Michigan played in your development. Because look, I mean, there were some ups and downs, weren't there? I mean, it wasn't that long, yeah. but there were. No, no doubt. Um, West Michigan was a great time. I know uh, it was kind of a whirlwind, you know, the start of the season. Uh, everyone was kind of like, felt like a big old fog, you know, kind of like what's going on. Cause you had 20% capacity everywhere we went and then back home. When everyone was talking about, oh, just wait till West Michigan opens up, wait till West Michigan opens up. We waited and it finally opened up and it was definitely worth it. It was a great time. The fans were awesome. And, you know, the team really came together and with the coaching staff and uh, we put together a good month, I I think. But uh, yeah, I I wouldn't uh, trade that for the world. West Michigan was a great time. And um, I don't I'm not saying I want to go back, but, you know, it it was a great it was a great place, and I wouldn't mind, you know, vacationing there one day. How much fun was that last week? Because we started to see capacity go up a little bit. You were really hitting the ball well. The place was kind of getting that buzz about it that you kind of probably had heard about leading into your time in West Michigan. Yeah, no, it was it was awesome. You know, just seeing a hundred percent capacity in the stands again, and then people really truly care about you at West Michigan. You know, the fans actually want to win, and it's uh. It's pretty. It's a pretty legit atmosphere, to be honest. Now, how much fun do you have in an area? I know you've got Dylan Dingler and you've got Riley Green. We're having a lot of fun. You know, we just uh, last series. We, it was a seven-game series because there was a, a cancellation last time they played Akron, and so we lost the first three. And we're like, no way, we're going to lose our first series right now. We won. We ended up winning four straight, so it was pretty sweet. So let's go back a bit because. Just before you left West Michigan, we got to meet your parents, Rick and Lori, and they told us a few things that not many people know about you. And once they did, a few things about you started to make sense because you always come off so grateful for these opportunities, more so than I think a typical number one overall pick. And and sometimes to be this way, you have to have these opportunities taken away to really appreciate it. They mentioned that you actually have been cut from a few baseball teams. Is that true? Tell us about it. Yeah. um, I'm always grateful for every opportunity I get. Obviously I think that's kind of the way my parents raised me, you know, not to, you know, just to be thankful and grateful for everyone that's done something for you and just experiences that you get. I was cut from 
So I was invited to the 15U national team trials, like that week-long period where 40 kids try out for the 20 spots on the national team. The USA baseball team. USA baseball, yeah. And um, I go I go there. I, I do all right. I didn't do great. It was kind of weird, you know, like a 15-year-old in your own hotel room. First time use, using a laundry loop. I was like, I was in shock. So it was a little different. But uh, at the end of the week, they made the cuts. I didn't make the team. And uh, I remember just being devastated. You know, I, I dreamt of being on that USA baseball team and I could picture it and I wanted to go to Mexico and win a gold medal, you know. But uh, no, I didn't make the team and it kind of, you know, lit a little extra fire in me. And I, uh, I kind of told myself, you know, I'm, I don't want to feel this again, you know. And same thing as when I went undrafted out of high school, you know, I was like, I don't, I don't like this feeling. Let's, let's do better to, to not feel this. <laughs> Your mom, Lori, said that there were actually a few teams that were interested in drafting you coming out of high school. Which teams kicked the tires on you? They weren't, uh, they weren't that interested, obviously. But uh, occasionally talking to the, the Phillies area scout, and you know, he's like, hey, we really like you. His name's Joey Davis. He's a, he's a, I think he's a cross-checker, pretty, pretty high up there in scouting with the Braves now. He saw something in me in high school and he was talking to me like, hey, you know, I don't I don't have much say in the draft. I'm an area scout, but like I really like you. And, you know, if we could sign you, that'd be great. And I was like, yeah, whatever, whatever works out. And uh, they ended up not taking me. I wasn't I wasn't crazy surprised, but, you know, it, it also lit a fire in me to to go to school and to, you know, never feel what it feels like to not get picked in the draft again. Do you think that they didn't pick you because they knew you wanted to go to Arizona State? Um, no, I think uh, they didn't see something. I don't know. I wasn't. I'm obviously. They, I can't blame. Them. I wasn't. You know, hitting 25 home runs as a freshman at Arizona State in high school. You know, I was. I wasn't there yet, but I. I think I like to think I had some talent and some, you know, some baseball ability. Yeah, I like to think that too. Let's go back to draft day. So the Tigers didn't tell you that they were picking you. Are you happy in hindsight that they didn't tell you? Because it did kind of make for an amazing moment. Absolutely. Yeah, that that moment that everyone saw on TV was very extremely pure. And, uh, you know, you got 15 close family friends all packed on one couch watching the watching the selection and then just the room blew up. You know, it felt like, and it was, it was pretty special. I heard that Major League Baseball sends all the hats to you guys, mm-hmm. or to everybody that's going to be taken high. So what was, I mean, you hadn't heard anything from the Tigers. So was there another team that told you or your agent, like, look, if they don't take you, we're taking you? Um, I don't think so. Uh, I also didn't have those, you know, serious conversations with, with teams that my agent had, but uh I, I don't know. I haven't asked them. Maybe I should ask them. They're like, hey, like, <laughs> was I going to get drafted if the Tigers didn't drop me? <laughs> I don't know. If he doesn't go one, he's now a fifth round pick. No, I don't think that. <laughs> I don't think that was happening. All right. So let's move over to the switch to third base. And obviously, this is about a year old for you now because mm-hmm. about this time a year ago is when you were announced as a third baseman. Numbers look good. You're now in double A. How's that going for you? I mean, how. How are you feeling about that switchover? Because I know you've been doing a lot of work at that spot. I love it. You know, it's, it's definitely nice to to play every day over at third base or three games a week at third base because, uh, you know, I, I get to finally see like all the work I've put in over there pay off. You know, uh, 
I countless hours probably by now. Um, definitely. But like with Tram and Arnie and uh, even Guthrie, Pena, you know, all those guys that helped me out in spring training leading up to, you know, doing drills during the season. I mean, we, we put in a lot of work at third base, right? like every day, early work every day. And uh, so it's nice to, you know, finally feel comfortable and get all those in-game reps that Tram would always talk to me about. He's like, yes, we could hit you as many fungos as we want, but like that's nothing compared to what, you know, a ball coming off someone's bat. So it's, it's fun to, you know, play over there in a game three times a week and uh, get those reps. We are very delighted to be joined by Spencer Torkelson, who like many well-known figures has already been embroiled in a scandal that rocked the nation. Tell me what happened with the can you tried to open in spring training. Oh, yeah. So it was actually a, a can of beans or, I mean, no pun intended. It might've been a can of corn. I, I don't know. We were making this salsa and there's a wine opener and we didn't have a can opener. And I was like, I've never done this before. Let's be stupid. I'm going to try to get the knife off the wine opener and uh, like just puncture the, the can. And I tried to stab it in the knife that was folding, folded just straight onto my, onto my finger. It wasn't, it wasn't a great experience, but I'm glad uh, Jake Rogers was there to help me through it and uh, get me the help I needed. It's just wild. You know, Riley actually said the salsa. I don't know if you ended up actually making it that night. He said that you actually make some pretty yeah. good salsa. No, it was definitely, you know, it was my girlfriend actually was making the salsa and she, she kept cooking the salsa while Jake and I were uh, at the urgent care. <laughs> Spencer, you know, we just talked a little bit about Arizona State and, you know, all the success you had there, but, you know, College World Series is still going on. I mean, I know you've been watching these games like a hawk. What are your impressions of the College World Series and namely those two Vanderbilt pitchers and Jack Leiter, Kamar Rocker? Because you might have heard the Tigers have the third overall pick in a couple of weeks. Yeah, um, I haven't been watching as much as I would have liked just because of the uh, my games going on. But uh, first off, you know, I, I really feel for those NC State guys that, you know, got their season cut short. Just tough scenario. I, I mean, I don't know the details, but, you know, either way, it sucks. But, um, yeah, those those Vanderbilt pitchers, um, they're legit. Kumar Rocker and uh, Jack Jack Leiter, they're legit. I mean, I've watched them pitch a couple times throughout the year because, you know, ESPN loves Vanderbilt, and they're going to put their games on the TV. So just the way they pitch, I mean, they're actual pitchers. You know, they're not just up there throwing. I, I heard someone say, you know, we're in the throwing era of baseball. Like, everyone's just like, hey, I'm going to try to throw as hard as I can and, you know, see what happens. And, it, you know, it's kind of working out for some people. But th those guys are actually out there pitching. You know, they, they have decent – they have good velocity. They have good off-speed pitches. But uh, it's, it's nice to see guys, you know, pitching. You mentioned that I guess some people say we're in a throwing era, and I know that a lot has been made about the foreign substance conversation. We had Cody Clemens on the show last week, mm -hmm. and he actually said, based on how hard some guys are throwing, you want them to have a better idea of where it's going. Have you noticed any changes the last couple of weeks from a hitter's perspective? I actually noticed. I don't know if it's the foreign substance, whatever deal going on, um, I'm kind of in the same boat as Cody, to be honest, but I've noticed some scouting reports on guys that I'm facing. The velocity is kind of down, 
like instead of four to six, they're like two to four. I don't know if that has anything to do with the like 94, 96 versus 92, yes. 94. Yeah. Which is a big difference. I think I haven't known a crazy difference in the off speed pitches either, to be honest, but I'm with Cody, you know, if a guy's throwing 98 and he needs a little help to, you know, know where it's going, obviously not spider tech because that's made for increased performance, like spin rate, you know, just to get you out. But pine tar, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not convinced it improves spin rate more than it does improve control. And yeah, I would, I would really like to hit a pitch in the zone. Not at, not at my head, you know? You have to kind of almost step back. And of course, we don't have the benefit of hindsight because guys who hit 40, 50, 100 years ago, Babe Ruth, for example, he didn't have to deal with 98 on the black. He didn't have to deal with 101 on the black. I mean, it's probably harder right now to be a hitter Mm -hmm. in baseball than it ever has been. Is that fair? No doubt. But the game's evolved, you know friggin' 70 miles an hour to Babe Ruth probably felt like, you know, 95, you know, it probably wasn't crazy, but like that, but you know, it was still tough then. And then the game evolves and it evolves and it evolves. I, I was, I overheard a conversation with Tram and they were like, Tram, you think you could hit, you know, 98. Cause like in 19, in the 1984 world series, I don't think anyone threw 98. I, I'm maybe, but he's like, absolutely. You know, I'm a competitor. I, I would have evolved to hit that just like you guys are i'm like damn right tram <laughs> like you could probably go out there right now and hit it just with just with that mindset but uh yeah i think it is difficult to hit baseball regardless of what year you know it's funny because i think i saw you somewhere mentioning rookie of the year as one of your favorite baseball movies it's ironic now because when that movie came out nobody threw like 99 nobody threw 100 and now everybody throws 99 everybody throws 100 it's kind of outdated now isn't it exactly you know i didn't think about that but that's so true so tell me a little bit about because you know one of the things that i always found really cool about your family was that your mom Lori is the cfo for guy fieri how much have you heard from guy fieri this season or has he been ghosting you (laughs) <laughs> guy doesn't ghost me you know he actually tells my mom to sit tell me hello all the time but uh i need to keep in touch with him more often to be honest you know he's a, he's such a great guy he is busy but you know he's definitely he's down to earth and he'll he'll definitely pick up the phone if i call have you ever been to a cookout or a barbecue thrown by guy fieri because i feel like that's something that a lot of people might have on the bucket list of some type um you know i I have. I've been to, uh, he has a, a, a beautiful ranch and I've been over there and he cooks up some amazing food. And, you know, he, it's fun, you know, because we cooked, we made this meal, you know, he's the head chef, obviously, but he has everyone do a job. You know, you got to earn your dinner. So I was in charge of, uh, I was, I was cutting the onion, I think with my brother. I don't think he liked my technique. I'll be honest. <laughs> I'll be honest. It wasn't to guy's standards, but, uh, it was probably the best meal I've ever had. He did like rotisserie tri-tip. Who thinks of that? What is that? What is it? Rotisserie what? So, you know, like rotisserie chicken? Instead of a chicken on it, it's a tri-tip. And it was the best thing I've ever had. Last ones before we let you go. We're going to do just some some quick. They're not like quite torque bombs, but they're like torque grenades. They're like small, quick, don't think, just answer. So <laughs> we'll just jump right in. And then you tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Ready? All right. All right. What is Spencer Torkelson's earliest memory of why you love baseball? Uh, hitting. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, hitting. That's my torque grenade. What is your favorite thing to do on a baseball field in a game? Uh, win. Name someone you enjoy on social media. Um, Bob Menery. <laughs> He's hilarious. <laughs> Finish this sentence for me. The best player of my childhood was. Barry Bonds. Now, is that because of Arizona State for you, or is there more to it? I know. I personally think uh, he's the greatest hitter of all time. Yeah, I was a Giants fan growing up, and he went to Arizona State. And, uh, you know, part of the reason I wanted to go to Arizona State so bad was because he did. But he's, you know, undoubtedly the greatest hitter of all time, you know. What ballparks did you visit growing up? I'm sure you went to the one in San Francisco, but what other one? Yep. Pac Bell Park, uh, Coors Field, Dodger Stadium, Chase Field, Petco, obviously Oakland. That's pretty much it. And before I was like the age of 15, then I kind of expanded my horizons. I take it you've never hit in Coors Field? No, no, I haven't. I've always Is there been any ballpark you really want to hit in? Yes. Coors Field's definitely probably on top of the list that I'd want to take a batting practice at. Something tells me you're going to get that opportunity. Spencer Torkelson joining us here on the road to Detroit. Thank you very much for taking some time with us and just keep doing what you're doing. Go get them the rest of the way. Thanks so much. It's now time for best in class. Of all the players in the Tigers minor league system this week, this one made the most noise. Pitch to Dingler. Swung on, drilled out to right field, going back is Bonifacio at the warning track, and he cannot make the catch, it's off the wall. Green scores, Torkelson coming around, he will score, Dingler on his way to third, it's a two-run triple, and it's a one-run game. Greg Gainey on the call, that is Dylan Dingler. He is this week's winner of best in class. Numbers were off the charts for Dingler this week, and the numbers in Erie are actually better than they were in West Michigan. How is that happening? Dingler was hitting almost 300 with West Michigan in high A. Now he's hitting over 300 in double A Erie. And we talked to Kylie McDaniel a couple of episodes ago. If you want to catch that conversation with Kylie McDaniel of ESPN, he has a top 100 ranking that carries some significant weight around Major League Baseball. And he even said, if Dylan Dingler continues to mash in double A like he had been hitting in West Michigan, he's almost a bona fide top 100 prospect the next time that list comes out. So far, he's checked all those boxes. The 22-year-old has been hitting the ball with all kinds of authority in Double A Erie. So he's doing exactly what you want him to do because there's only one thing left for Dylan Dingler to have to do as long as he keeps up this pace and that's become a top 100 prospect. Get in that conversation with Riley Green. Get in that conversation with Spencer Torkelson. And all of a sudden, everything that we are seeing as Tigers fans gets validated on a national level. Congratulations to Dylan Dingler. He takes another step forward this week. It's best in class. Next up, our favorite in-house award here on the RTD. It is the Dylan Rosa Award winner, where we honor someone who came up just a little bit short, but very well, and a good week for this young player. The Dylan Rosa Award was started by Dylan Rosa back in 2019 because Dylan Rosa kept on winning the Honorable Mention Award here on the RTD. He's now in Toledo, by the way, so congratulations to Dylan Rosa. Nate Wangler, who is this week's Dylan Rosa Award winner? Who will accept this Rosa? Let me start off with this. 
You mentioned this earlier. The beauty of this podcast is that we have opportunities to talk to and about prospects that wouldn't otherwise grab headlines. One arm in the system that I believe has earned this Dylan Rosa award this week is Whitecap starter Brendan White. The 26th rounder out of Siena College, 1-1, 212 ERA, 33 strikeouts through 29 and two-thirds. And for those who understand spin rate, understand this. Brendan White has a slider that would be considered elite at the major league level. And the other thing that kind of blows my mind, it's a pitch that he's really developed over the last couple years in the Tigers minor league system. What's more ironic is that his favorite pitcher of all time, because he's from Mayo Pack, New York, is Andy Pettit. When you ask Major League fans, what's Andy Pettit's best pitch? What was his go-to pitch to put guys away? It's the slider. When you ask me what's Brendan White's best pitch, it's easily his slider. And it's a pitch that if he continues to develop it, he will make an impact at that next level, which is really surprising for a guy who was drafted in the 26th round. He did come out of nowhere. And if Andy Pettit's your favorite player, we need to make sure Brendan White has a pretty good pickoff move. Congratulations <laughs> to Brendan White. He is this week's Dylan Rosa Award winner. Today we get to talk about a few who have traveled the road to Detroit. And to do that, we have to go to Detroit. And who better to bring on the show than the man who is in the straw that stirs the drink on Tigers Radio for the last 22 seasons. One of my absolute favorite people to talk Tigers baseball with, it is Dan Dickerson. Talk to me, my friend. Great to have you. Oh, good to be on the show. I always love talking Tigers baseball, Dan. So how refreshing is it to finally see these young players excelling at the major league level, especially on the pitching side? It's amazing what we've watched over the last two and a half months is, I mean, before we even talk about the pitching, the fact that, you know, a Daz Cameron, a Derek Hill, who we saw briefly last year, now we're seeing them come up and look like just more confident, ready to help players than we saw last year. Derek Hill clearly can play center field with almost anybody in the major leagues right now. So all of a sudden, these guys who are top prospects and then their their star faded a little bit, and now they've at least had the opportunity and taken advantage of it to show that, hey, don't forget about me. I still might be a piece in this outfield. And believe me, those two, Hill and Cameron, are. Jake Rogers, we'll talk about him has solidified that catcher's position. I can't tell you how different this team feels defensively with good catching with Haas and especially Rodgers behind home plate. And then right now, in a time of great need, with Boyd and Turnbull on the injured list until after the All-Star break at least, you've got three young pitchers holding this rotation together and giving you really good starts. And they're just getting better and better Mize and Scooble have made 20 starts. Their last 20 starts combined have been terrific. And now you've got Manning who's off to a terrific start in his first two starts. You know, Dan, a famous football coach once said, they are who we thought they were. <laughs> I know you typically don't see these guys much, but you've gotten to see these prospects down in spring training. Now you've right. gotten to see each of these big three on the pitching side in the major leagues. Do you remember any first impressions you got from any of them? Are these guys who you thought they were? Uh, we got early impressions, I think probably most on Daz Cameron in 2019. He'd been at double-A the year before and had good numbers. He was really the talk of camp in 2019, and then he did not have a great year at triple-A, and you know we hardly saw him until the end of last year. 
Um, but I, I would say that's the guy. Um, Scooble, I remember on that, what was it, a 49-degree day uh, in Lakeland in 2019? You know, it, it was the college game, and he was just lights out. It was, I don't know what the temperature was. It was cold, and Ron Gardner's watching him, and he's looking over at Alavila like, hey, can I take this day? I was like, no, you cannot take him out of spring training. So I remember that. Certainly, I remember Matt Manning making an impression uh, in spring training a year ago in 2020 uh, with a powerful stuff against the Yankees. So, yes, they, they all made early impressions, and you know, we didn't see as much of Casey Mize, and he had a rough spring this year. But everybody, I mean, the thing that A.J. Hinch is so good at, it's like, Guys, the stuff is good. This is a process. <laughs> We're asking him to do this. We're asking him to attack the strike zone. We're asking him to get to leverage by getting ahead in the count. And it's a process to get there. And there was a lot of hard contact. And then he got it. And it's been really fun to watch. It's almost like hitters are tougher to get out in Major League Baseball than they are in the SEC. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> so last week, West Michigan had a pitcher throw in a town that was less than an hour from where he grew up. And I think he had the he had something in the neighborhood of 50 to 60 people among friends and family come out to watch him pitch. It was easy to find in a small ballpark, but were you able to spot the Matt Manning cheering section in Anaheim a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, you know, I never they, they had them really spread out because apparently they bought their own tickets. So they were really spread out. We have a great vantage point overlooking uh, the seats right behind home plate uh, at, in, that, in Angel Stadium. So we, you could see, I mean, I know his girlfriend was there and she's tall and, you know, you, you could see her talking with some members of the family. But they were really widely scattered around behind home plate and to the first base side. I kept looking for his dad. I figured I can't miss his dad, right? His dad, I think, is 6'11". Uh, we saw him yesterday at the ballpark. He was like, okay, there he is. I never saw him that night. but So, no, it was not easy to see. They were really spread out. But, Dan, I got to tell you that the atmosphere in that ballpark for that game and how Matt Manning handled it told you a lot about what the Tigers have in this kit. Think about it. He hadn't had really back-to-back good starts at Toledo. They kept saying the stuff is fine. You know, it's 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 a process with him at Toledo, but he's the best guy who can help us right now, and that stuff can get major league hitters out. So he comes up, and it's the first night of capacity limits lifted, so full night of full capacity, first night of full capacity. There's 30,000-plus in the ballpark. It's Shohei Otani on the mound on the other side. Everybody's there to see Shohei Otani, not just pitch, but also to hit a home run, if you please. And Matt Manning is out there, and he, he – I mean, it could have been – it could have been a short start. It could have been – a lot of kids, I think, would have been overwhelmed by the moment. He did not, and he really did a nice job. The two runs he gave up, you could argue, he could have easily given up no runs. The hardest hit balls were some outs. But again, that's what the Tigers are, are urging these guys to do. He didn't shy away from contact after that early hard contact. And it was fun to watch. But I thought how he handled that moment in his major league debut was outstanding. And now back-to-back starts with giving up just two runs. If right. you listen to this show, a couple things are assumed. Number one, you know exactly what's going on at the major league level. You understand where the Tigers are within their competitive timeline. And you know that they're closer to competing 
that they've ever been within this cycle. You also have a pretty good feel for the minor league system. My personal favorite, Dan, is when these two things perfectly merge together. And <laughs> this year, that's exactly what's happened thanks to a young man named Akil Badu. Talk about a shot in the arm for you guys at a number of levels. I just, I, I'm shaking my head in amazement uh, every day at this young man making the jump 29 games, 29 games above low A ball and then Tommy John surgery in May of 2019. I mean, everybody knows the story, but still it's worth repeating because <clears throat> that's just phenomenal that he didn't play baseball. And as AJ Hint said this spring, he didn't play baseball for almost two years and he got better. Well, that was a lot of hard work. It was video review as he's talked about. It was just dedicating himself to becoming the best possible player he could be. And A.J. Hinch, I think, and his staff have been brilliant in how they have handled him. He had the early home run, the early grand slam, the early walk-off. Those were his first three games. And then, then the swing got a little bit big, and teams just carved him up. And they're like, hey, you gotta, you gotta, you can't, you're not a home run hitter. Your success at this level is going to be tighten up that swing, Get back to that good play discipline we saw in the spring. And what he's done over his last, it's 100 plate appearances now, Dan, where he's hit right around 325, 330. On base is close to 500, about 470, 480. I mean, and the first time we saw him in the leadoff spot, it, it was like he was jumpy and he didn't have the at-bats. A couple weeks later, he gets another shot at the leadoff spot because really he could be an ideal leadoff hitter. Now he's in there three times on the homestand, and it's back to being Mr. Patient, working at bat, knowing when to attack early in the at bat. When this guy gets on, he creates something. It's an energy. It's disruption for the other team. You know something's going to happen when he's on base. AJ's done a great job of making sure once he was struggling, okay, we're going to back him off. We're going to play him selectively, give him the best possible matchups to succeed. Now he's succeeding. Now we're going to push him into that number six spot, five spot, leadoff spot. And he's handling it. He wants to challenge him at all times, see if he handles it. If he does, give him a chance to show he can handle it some more. I just couldn't be more impressed. This is Mr. Excitement. He is so early in his development and yet easily the best OPS on this team. <laughs> And again, it's been played selectively, but he's beginning to play more and more. And he's he's showing that he can handle it. He's still learning how to run the base as well. He's still learning how to be a good defender. He's still learning a daily routine, for goodness sakes, at the major league level. And he's still producing. It's it's phenomenal. I mean, if, if you were talking about a rookie coming up, like a you know somebody who's highly rated, a Riley Green or a Spencer Torkelson, you say, wow, this kid is everything we thought. It's like getting a first-round pick you know, in the draft. I mean, who thought that this could happen with a rule five pick from the previous, you know, December? Nobody. I think the Tigers took him because they had a, a feel for what he might do. But the fact that he's doing it at this high level, I think AJ's whole goal is to get him through the year, continuing to feel that success, continuing every day to work on his skills with George Lombard and the staff. Can't say enough about this young man, but what what a find. What a find. And you just said it, and I'm glad you mentioned this. It's times like these that I have to remind myself that he was a Rule 5 pick. How hard is it, I mean, and how hard it is to get that kind of season we're getting from him? What are fair expectations of a full season for somebody in this position? Um, 
I, I don't. I wouldn't even put a ceiling on it anymore. I mean, last I looked, he had like an eight, 80 OPS or eight sixty OPS. I mean, to me, you get through. It, there's going to be. You would think there's going to be a, a time when he's going to go. You know, the league is going to make that next adjustment. He'll have to make his next adjustment. You would think that's coming soon, but we're not seeing it. This is this is twenty five plus starts now where he's been so productive in over one hundred plate appearances. So. Put it this way, he gets he's going to get probably 300 to 350 plate appearances. And if he's, you know, anywhere near where he is right now in terms of his his slash line, hitting 260, 270 with a high on base. And again, the extra base power is down, but that has helped him because that means he's changed his swing and adjusted so that he can get on base and create havoc near an 800 OPS. But I wouldn't even put a number. on. I would basically just say, did he contribute as a rule five player? There's no question that whatever happens going forward, the answer to that is absolutely yes. Did he get better as a defender, as a base runner, as a hitter? There's no question the answer to that's going to be yes. Does he have that understanding of what it takes to be a consistent, everyday major league player? That's going to be a yes, even if he's not playing every single day. Uh, so it's going to be a success, I think, no matter what. We're at the midway point almost right now, and it's, it's going to be a plus. Did he make adjustments throughout the right. season? And that's what we're starting to see. Maybe that's Absolutely. the real answer. Yeah. We talked about Derek Hill, Daz Cameron, Isaac Paredes. Another player, maybe not necessarily in that group of now just experiencing major league success, is Jake Rogers. He's had a few chances, but now he's starting to turn a corner. Tell us what you've seen, how that's come to be. You know, we mentioned earlier his defense. And, you know, he, he and Derek Hill both went to uh, – Doug Lotta to change their swings. They have very similar simplified swings this year, and it's paid off certainly big for Derek Hill, and I think it's paying off for Jake Rogers as well. The numbers don't look great, but I'm telling you, his at-bats, his ability to lay off pitches that he was definitely chasing earlier is noticeable, and I think he can hit enough to hold down that that number one spot, and he's really the number one with Haas, uh, number two, and you know because Jake's getting more of the starts, but his work behind the plate you know, A.J. Hinch is on him right now. And, you know, he had a game with a double and a triple and his his absolute everyday mantra to Jake Rogers is catch a winner. You know, that's your job. Yes, you have to hit enough to say, but he wants the focus, the, the, the thought process for Jake Rogers to be defense first, catch a winner. So they were going through the line the other day after a win. And, he, and he's, you know, the congratulation line after a win, it's like, Caught a winner. And he goes, you get any hits today? You had a double and a triple. And Jake's like, I had two hits. It's like, <laughs> like he's like, AJ didn't notice. But that's the emphasis. And it's showing up in a big, big way. I mean, you know, sorry, Wilson Ramos was killing this defense. He just, he just, he couldn't, he was dropping balls starting in spring training and he kept dropping balls and couldn't block balls very well. And it was dragging the whole defense down. I think it, it really, you know, it's like, Pitchers now away from certain pitches they might want to throw with men on base because they know it might not be blocked. Jake Rogers got quick feet. He can block the ball. He, his game calling skills are something that you only really know if you ask the manager. And A.J. Hinch feels like he's progressing in that regard, and he calls a good game because he's dedicated to it. And he's dedicated to understanding how it has to be adjusted on the fly during the course of a game based on how he's reading hitters, based on what his pitcher has. I mean, these are things that – it oftentimes takes, I always think of Brad Osmond, who was a very good defensive catcher, saying it took him four, four or five years to really have that innate understanding of how to call a game without 
thinking every single pitch. It just you knew what you wanted to call next based on all the things that your brain was processing, your eyes are processing. But Jake Rogers has, has come a long way in that. And so anyway, I, I just think he's he's been terrific behind the plate. He's hitting enough and it's helped his team tremendously. I don't think you can talk about the fact and, you know, much has been made over the last month and a half now of what the Tigers record has been. That does kind of line up when Jake Rogers became an Mm -hmm. everyday catcher. So I don't think that's a coincidence, but no, you know, you know, you're getting a wave of pitching at your level. So what I'm curious is to know how much fun is it to watch the bats starting to come together in the minors on top of everything you're seeing? Yeah, when you see Dingler and Torkelson, I'm sure you, it was a sad day for you when they got promoted to your Oh, it was the worst day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> my life has not been very hard, apparently. I mean, you know, they go to double A, and, uh, but I mean, think about it. You tear it up there and you're not far away from the major leagues. I don't think anybody's coming up to the major leagues this year, but it's been, I mean, you really have to go back to the 1970s to the last time the Tigers had a core of young hitters this exciting that everybody is tracking on their way to the major leagues. And of course the attention's much higher now than it would have been in the seventies. And that core of the 84 championship team was coming up. Uh, but that that's, I mean, it's been a long time and it's people like, wow, they're getting too much attention. I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're that good and they're going to form the core of this team. And I think the thing that's, that makes it exciting is that when you get this close and they're, they're getting obviously a double A very close I mean, Chris Ellis has made it clear. I, I don't think that people really, they keep saying, ah, oh, he's not like his dad. He's not going to spend. He's made it clear that when the time is right, he's going to spend to add, because you always need, you're not just going to win a championship based on a young core coming up through the minor leagues and a young core of pitchers. You need that veteran to join that core. A couple of veterans, usually. Robbie Grossman's value this year is way beyond his numbers because of the impact he's having on young players. On the pitching side, same thing. You need veterans around those guys. And so when these guys are getting closer and closer, then Chris Illich can look at the open market this winter or next winter and say, okay, which guy on the open market, you know, beyond the guys that we've been shopping for in the bargain bin, who are bigger names, who are going to have more of an impact, which guy's worthy of spending maybe the bigger dollars on? Because you do need those. And he's made that commitment that he's going to, he's going to spend when the time is right. And those guys developing and charging toward the major leagues is a big development for Tiger fans. And, you know, jumping off that point about getting this team to a place where spending money not only makes sense, but kind of pushing your chips into the table on going in for bigger talent and bigger players on that free agent market. What needs to happen this season in that regard for the Tigers to sell themselves? I mean, how would you define a successful season for the Tigers this year? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say by wins, although I I do think it's important to compile more wins after a, what, 47-win season, the last full season in 2019. I think this is a team that's going to end up, I mean, think about it. They lost 18 of 21 early in the season, April into May. 40. Five games later, they've gone 25 and 20 following that 3 and 18 stretch. When everybody was ready, another 100 loss season. Here we go. Another top pick coming. No, this is a team that is finally getting to some of the concepts that Scott Pooball is teaching as a hitting coach, that Chris Feder and Juan Nieves are teaching as pitching coach, that A.J. Hinch wants to instill in this team. That winning mindset includes so many different things, but for him, it all starts with preparation. 
He knows he doesn't have power. So what has he done? He's built a team that had to be more disciplined at the plate, willing to draw a walk, put the ball in play, and understand that the way they're going to beat you is by being aggressive on the bases, by putting together singles, doubles, walks, and the occasional home run. But it's definitely a mindset. I mean, look at how often they have stolen bases and how successful they have been. That's homework. We haven't seen that in a long time. The walk rate has gone way up. That's a big deal to Scott Coolball because it shows that his hitters are doing what he wants them to do, stay more disciplined in the strike zone. So I think what A.J. is most proud of is at this point is that he's showing whatever talent you give him, he's going to get the most out of it. And he's going to adjust what he wants to do based on the talent that he has. He doesn't have power hitters. So by golly, he's going to be aggressive on the bases. Tigers are a good base running team, not only stealing bases, but taking the extra base, forcing pressure, tagging up on long fly balls. Jake Rogers does it. Jonathan Scope does it. Eric Hostel a base the other day. Uh, and so they're, they're creating that identity, that win over the Astros on Sunday at home. That was small ball at its best against a really good team. How are they going to beat the Astros? Are they going to outslug them? No. They had to outpitch them, outplay them, tight defense, scratch out a couple of runs. That was a great win. But that win and that weekend series, splitting four games with the hottest team in baseball, that shows you what A.J. Hinch and this staff are doing with this team. And so to me, a successful year is at the end, you've got a good brand of baseball with the talent that you have. You show what the needs are going forward for this team so that on the, in the open market this offseason, I just keep thinking about that class of shortstops that's out there, you know, which one of them maybe adds to your roster and provides that core piece uh, going forward. But I think most of all, it's that style of play, show that I can get the most out of my guys, show that I can develop pitchers, understand how I can manage their innings and keep them successful. And I, I think all of those things are coming together. So win total will be great. And I think this team is a team that will probably end up somewhere in the mid-70s. Uh, but I'm not even going to put a cap on it at this point. With the way they played for 45 games, 25 and 20, the pitching is going to be the issue. Getting Turnbull and Boyd back, say, in August, I think definitely helps down the stretch. I'm not going to say it's ever a good time for an injury, but if that means they get to come back and finish strong and don't have to be shut down at the end of September uh, while they're managing the innings of Scooble and Mize and Manning, uh, that'll be big for this team because the rotation was really leading the way. And somehow they're, they're still – leading the way without Boyd and Turnbull. So at the midway point, I would say this is already a successful season based on what we've seen lately. And then the continued development of those young players going forward and continuing to play this good brand of baseball, successful season with those guys finishing on a high note, all of those things add up to a successful 2021. And then going forward shows ownership that, hey, this team is in the right hands right now with this staff. Now let's help them. There there have been some boxes that have needed checking this year. And I think some of those boxes have been checked. You talked about guys like Mize and Scooble. And all, all the while, there's still another really high draft pick floating around out here. You may or may not be working on a Tigers MLB draft preview show. We can either confirm nor deny. But what's your sense of what the Tigers might be looking for and what might be there for them with the third overall pick? Yeah, I think they're always looking for the best player available. You can't draft by need, not at number three. Uh, later in the draft, that that absolutely is uh, something that they do, but not early on. And there's a consensus, you know, top eight players who probably separate themselves from the pack in this year's draft. I think uh, Marcelo Meyer would be their number one choice. It doesn't sound like, based on all the mock drafts, that he's going to be there at number three. 
the shortstop from California. There's probably two pitchers they'd be really happy with, either Jack Leiter or Jackson Job. I think they actually like uh, Jackson Job a lot. He's a high school kid. Now, you're going to hear, you don't take a 6-2 right-hander from high school with a third pick. Believe me, if the Tigers take Jackson Joe with number three, a 6'2 high school right-hander, there's a reason. And uh, he, he's good. He's, he's got probably the best stuff of any pitcher in this draft. It's just the risk associated with it. But, but I think the Tigers feel like, hey, we'd be silly not to look at this kid and not to draft him if we think he's the best available. And we know, and the Tigers have a pretty good history of keeping pitchers healthy. We know that we can develop in the right way, not load up on that arm too early and have him progress toward the major leagues. Well, Dan, I know that regardless of how that pick goes at number three, you know you're getting a huge talent. And considering where the Tigers are now starting to graduate some of these guys, it's pretty cool to see that they're able to reload and get another batch of prospects in that top 100, whether it be Dingler, Green, and Torkelson. And now you're adding that number three overall pick. It's a pretty exciting time from that perspective, it's a time that we haven't had in quite a long time. But, but Dan, always a pleasure. Look, the sounds of summer are right here. Dan Dickerson, it's been a joy to have you on the Road to Detroit podcast. Dan, enjoyed it. Always love talking baseball with you. It's now time for the road ahead. Here's what's coming up this week in the Tigers minor league system. The Lakeland Flying Tigers take on Daytona. That's the Reds' low-A affiliate, six-game road series. Meanwhile, West Michigan, they better pack an extra bag. They're hitting the road for 12 straight. First six games against the Peoria Chiefs, that's the St. Louis Cardinals' high-A team, and then six against the Dayton Dragons, who they just played in a five-game series, taking two of those five. Meanwhile, Erie heads home. They've got six games against Redding and Toledo. The Mud Hens host the Columbus Clippers for six games. We are just about at the finish line of this episode of The Road to Detroit. Our thanks to Spencer Torkelson and to Dan Dickerson. Got a little Major League flavor on this episode of the RTD. Don't forget, there is one way that you can show your appreciation for the Road to Detroit podcast, and that is by making sure you click the button that says subscribe. We do all the work for you. We take a look and see everything that's going on in the Tigers minor league system. We're like the internet watchdog. We're like best back in 2003. (laughs) We're making sure everything is on the up and up going on in the Tigers minor league system. So again, we thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with another episode of the RTD coming up next week. I believe we might have some Dingler Dinger presence on the podcast coming up in episode five. I think we're also going to talk some MLB draft coming up on that podcast. We'll be right up against the Tigers' third overall pick in the upcoming draft. That's it for episode four, this season's edition of the RTD. For our producer, Nate Wangler, I'm Dan Hasty, And until next time, see ya! No one's been part of more first days of work than Carhartt. And in the same way rookies have to keep earning respect, Carhartt never stops earning the respect of hardworking people like you. From building rugged gear that's tougher than any first day or worst day of work, to re-engineering the classics to outwork the future. Trust your Carhartts to keep doing their job long after you've been doing yours. Since 1889, Carhartt's got your back 24-7. Visit Carhartt.com or visit a retail store near you.